Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. On the Baptist was arrested. Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So today's gospel lesson is about a call to discipleship. And if I were to preach on this question, are we called to be disciples? Well, I may as well be that tree falling in a, in a forest. Because if I take a poll of everybody right here and ask, are you called to be a disciple? You're going to say what? Yes, right? Charlie, what would you say? Everybody's going to say yes. So, let's address a different question. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean? Because Jesus answers that question in today's lesson. Notice that Jesus gives three commands. He tells everybody around him, repent. He tells everybody around him, believe. And then to these, three, these four fishermen, Simon and Andrew and James and John, he says, follow, follow me. These are the three steps to discipleship, folks. Repent, believe, follow. But in order for us to make any use out of this in our own lives, we need to know a little more. That is, we need to know the theological implications behind these words. Repent, believe, follow. So let's take them up. How about repent? You know, if you think about it, in today's society, this notion of repent... Well, we, I, think, I think we look at it as pretty much a, a three-step process. Admit some wrongdoing, say I'm sorry, and promise to never do it again. And we see this at all stages of life. A young child, yeah, Mom, I ate all the cookies. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. We see it with older children. Some of you may have experienced this. Yeah, Dad, I stayed out after curfew. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And oh, by the way, can I have the keys to the car next Friday night? <laughs> and we see it with adults, particularly don't we see it played out among celebrities and politicians. They get caught doing something they ain't supposed to be doing. And so what happens, well, they call a press conference. And they have everybody gathered there, and they stand in front of the cameras, usually with a spouse by their side, saying, yes, I did this. 
I'm sorry. I promise I won't do it again. (laughs) And we all see it for what it is, a, a carefully choreographed gambit. Well, that may be what society sees, repentance, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The repentance we are talking about is really a promise, whether sincere or not, to change behavior. For Jesus, repentance is more about changing, for lack of a better word, our soul. The word that is translated as repent in the Greek is metanoia. And metanoia means, means a changing of one's very purpose of living. I like to think of it as a reorientation of ourselves, of our very souls. And if you want to put it in theological terms, it means a reorientation of ourselves away from the world to the cross, orienting, orienting ourselves to the cross. A theologian I read in preparation for today, talking about this metanoia, this reorientation, put it beautifully. He said, it is a reorientation of ourselves so that we begin to consider everything that we are about to say, everything we are about to do through the lens of our relationship with God. And so it's not about a promise to change and change our actions. That promise is superfluous with real metanoia, real repentance, because we have reoriented ourselves, our actions fall in line. So that's repentance, metanoia, reorientation. What about belief? Notice that belief comes after repentance. Now this is because Jesus isn't saying believe in God. That's assumed. That's taken for granted. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, believe the good news. Now that begs another question, doesn't it? What's the good news? Well, theologians, scholars, priests, pastors, preachers have been giving their interpretation of the good news for 2,000 years. And I can tell you the best interpretation of that I've seen, I think it's one of the simplest, and it's the most accurate, is this. The good news is that in the person of Christ, we see the embodiment of God's divine love for all humanity. Jesus is the physical demonstration on earth of God's divine love for you, for me, and for all of this world. That's good news. Now, this combination of of repentance, metanoia, reorientation, and belief in the good news sets us up to follow. Now, let's be quite honest. I'll bet that not a few of you kind of went mentally numb when I began reading the gospel today. All four gospels have the story of Jesus calling the fishermen to follow him. We've all heard it how many times? Too many to count. We've read it. We've heard it preached on. You know, on some level you're thinking, okay, he calls these guys. They say, okay, drop the nets. They're going to follow him. Let's get on. And I think 
Because we're so used to this story and we look at it through our 21st century sensibilities, we fail to see the enormity of what happened here. To get there, I want to share an encounter I had with you. This was an encounter quite a number of years ago, but I'll never forget it. It was July, late July of 1977. I was privileged to be a part of a, a study abroad program at Oxford University. We were staying at, at uh, University College, which, by the way, is the oldest college at Oxford, founded in the 15th century. It was a great, a great time. Spent eight weeks there. And we ate all of our meals during the week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We ate them in the great dining hall of University College. Now, if you want a picture of what that hall looked like, if you've seen the Harry Potter movies, any of them, you've seen the dining hall there. That is actually the dining hall at a college just around the corner from university. And it's very much like the university dining hall. It's this massive cavernous hall built centuries ago, just magnificent. Just eating there was a pleasure. The food wasn't that good, but it just, the, the place made it worth it. And because we ate there three times a day for weeks, we got to kind of know the folks who worked there. And I found myself, after being there maybe three or four weeks, in conversation following lunch with a, a young man who worked there. I was 21 at the time. He looked to be about my age, maybe a couple of years older. And the conversation somehow turned to the topic of his, his plans, his dreams for the future. And he said, oh, I'm going to work here. I'm going to work right here until I retire. Now, remember, I'm a 21-year-old kid from the United States where we, we glorify this idea of upward mobility, right? Getting out, leaving home, and, and finding your own way. And so I probably sounded in the next things I said and asked, I probably sounded like an, that arrogant American. But I didn't mean to. I was just so surprised. And so he explained things. He said, look, my father is, is working here, and he's worked here all of his life. My father's father, my grandfather worked here all of his life and for generations before. He said, this is the life I have been born into. And it opened my eyes to the fact that outside of the United States, throughout the world, much, in much of the world, that is the perception that you, you live the life you were born into with your family, with your community, the, the career that you're born into. And if you take that attitude, the attitude, this, this, this appropriate attitude this young man shared with me in 1977, and you multiply that times 20 or, or 50 or 100, we get some inkling of what life was like in Palestine in the first century. The situation, the place you were born into was everything. Your family, the close community around it. The work you're born into was, was, your, was your comfort, it was your security, it was the means that, 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 that led you to safety. And so, so to, to strike out, to leave that behind was just something that wasn't done 
when these four men left their, their nets behind and left their parents and their families behind, they weren't striking out on an adventure. They, they, were, they were literally putting their livelihood and their lives at risk. You see, what they did in that moment and followed by following Jesus, they assumed a whole new identity. You see, the problem we have is we tend to take the notion of, of following Jesus, of being a disciple, as a task. Another task that we, have to, that we decide to take on. And what do we do when we, when we accept a task? Well, we go through this mental exercise. Okay, how long is this going to take? Now, how often do I have to do this? Is it once a month? I'm not, no, once a week? Do I have to do it that often? Where, where am I going to fit this in? Three o'clock on, on Wednesday afternoons? Two o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays? What Jesus is telling us here is that this repent believe, follow, discipleship is not a task. It is an identity that we take on so that we don't compartmentalize when we're going to do it. Instead, it becomes a, very, a part of our very being so that we take every opportunity that is offered to share, to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Taking the opportunity to say a nice word to a stranger. Taking the opportunity to pray with a friend. Taking the opportunity to pray, with, pray for our enemies. That's right. Recognizing that we're in that grocery line. It's Friday afternoon and everybody's in the grocery line. And that guy up there is being a jerk. Recognizing that, you know, we don't know. Maybe he's had a no good, very bad, horrible day. Maybe he's living through some type of tragedy. We'll never know because we're not in his shoes. But one thing we do know is, the, despite the fact that he's being a jerk right now, he is still one of God's beloved children. It means, in other words, constantly viewing our actions, viewing the world in a way that we try to live out our baptismal covenant to try to recognize the Christ in everybody to, to respect the dignity of everybody we encounter. Now here's the rub. Here's the rub. I don't, maybe you can, but I can't say, okay, I got it. Repent, believe, follow, done. I'm there. It's a process. It's a process that we do it, we repent, we believe, we follow, we move forward, and then we're human, so we back up a little bit. So we repeat it, we repent, we believe, we follow, and then we back up a little bit again, and forward and back and forward and back. In other words, Jesus is calling us to recognize the need 
to walk that path of repentance, to walk that path of belief, to walk that path of following Jesus over and over and over till maybe someday, I hadn't gotten there yet, but maybe someday it does become so natural that it's just part of who we are. That's where I am right now. I'm on that path of over and over repenting, believing, following. I'm on the path of trying to become a disciple. Today, I invite you to walk that path with me. Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow. Amen.